you know, uh, joins us obviously that is especially underfunded for female founders. And then if you combine sort of female founders and long go-to-market combined with maybe a research component, then it's even more underfunded. So this is how I eventually kind of got into it. I'm not like 100% strict that this is like only what I'm looking into, but I realized that this is what really excites me actually when I work with companies, that those are the kind of innovations that, you know, will probably not make a return before eight or 10 years even. Yeah. But it's also, if it actually works out, I know that it can actually change something. And this is what really excites me. This is Female Business Angel Podcast. Your go-to destination if you're a business angel or would like to get into angel investing and don't know where to start. Or if you just want to find out how we tick. We're Tina and Katja, both business angels from Berlin. Well, I'm a VC now. We will interview established female business angels about how they got started and how it is going, including all the best tips and tricks. So get ready for some insider stories and personal empowering moments and revelations with these incredible women. Welcome to this journey with us. Hi, my name is Tina and I'm here today at the Scene Venture Studio, podcast studio, with Kerstin Bock. Kerstin is an old friend of mine, ours. We met years ago um, when she was in a very different capacity and I was still working at the Accelerator and um, she's really made a mark on the Berlin scene. So, Kerstin, who are you? Hello and thanks for having me. Um, who am I? Okay. <laughs> I'm Kerstin. I'm co-founder and CEO of Openers. That's my one-day job, I would say. Uh, Openers is a PR agency. We work mostly with scale-ups, international companies that come to the German market. We Can do you give that. any examples? Yeah, one of our long-term clients, for example, is Pipedrive. Um, so Rare is another one. Quite a lot of unicorns, European unicorns that came to the German market. We did back then, like, nine or ten years ago, the market entry by um, for Eventbrite, for Kickstarter. So quite a lot of companies that we all know for a very long time, I would say. And uh, yes, that's what I'm doing for almost nine years now. So it's our ninth year next year or wow. our tenth year. Um, no, ninth year next month. <laughs> tenth year next year, which means there's going to be a big party. I'm going to invite you to that one. Yay. And um, yeah, I think also coming from that, that we work mostly with scale-ups and later stage companies there. And I think this is what we talk about later on, obviously. You know, I also came to, I guess, angel investing because I've seen a lot of early stage companies, early companies also with an ad openers. But at the same time, usually, you know, it's quite too early to work with them. So they have uh, too little money for us as an agency to work with, but for them it's still a lot of money to, you know, start a comms topic, a marketing topic. So I decided, um, yeah, a few months, uh, sorry, for a few years back to actually, you know, kind of find my skin in the game. So this is why I started angel investing. And at the same time, I've been also involved for the past almost three years with quite a big project for the European Commission at the European Innovation Council, where I have building, yeah, basically the biggest deep tech fund in Europe, which uh, tries to navigate between this public institution and the private market. Um, so yeah, that's probably me in a nutshell for the few past years. Yes. Cool. 
So what do you think, can you summarize what you've learned from your activity with scale-ups to transfer it onto early-stage startups? Or I guess you don't only just do early-stage because with the uh, EIC, right? Is that yes. right? You, it, it's, it's kind of a later stage. So um, do you have any kind of core learnings that, that you always look out for? Yeah, so I think... You know, so coming, you know, from my expertise, so also my background, I mean, I didn't start with that, but I mean, I've been actually working in marketing and comms also before, also with tech companies. And before that, I actually always wanted to work in journalism, so really on the other side. But really, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm a marketing person. I'm a go-to-market person. And I think looking at that, um, you know, also when we work with scale-up, so ideally we have someone who owns the topic. So especially looking into like the go-to-market and marketing and the comms piece, you know, it's rarely the right moment to really invest heavily in that section if you're still talking to the, the founder, I would say. So I think as soon as you, you know, really properly have a department there, just from my comms perspective again, you know, I think that's what I see that, you know, sometimes, and this is my work as an angel and we talk about that later, usually I feel like, you know, it doesn't have to be that defined in the early moment, in the early days. And I think mm. you don't have to even look at that for maybe the first, year or one mm. and a half years. Mm. So I think when everyone wants to like just go really big about communicating around, etc., etc., I think it's it's nice, you know, and it's in a way it's fun. And of course, you want that, I guess, also for your, um, a little bit for celebrating your success and obviously and for good reasons, self-esteem, I guess. But I think at the same time, you have to just focus um, much more on different things on, you know, product, product market fit, obviously monetization and things like this before you even think about the part that I make my day-to-day -day with, I would say. <laughs> so um, that's definitely one learning, I think, on that perspective, because that's that's my field of expertise. And um, yeah, I think that's, I guess, even the biggest learning for at least that department, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> But when you go in as an angel, it's still a, a couple of years before you get active. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Okay, but um, yeah, tell us about your angel investments, kind of how you did your first bonds, your kind of early learnings. Lots of people have spoken about maybe doing too big a first ticket. Um, and um, yeah, how did you go about kind of working your way in? Because it, yeah. it goes in phases, I guess, right? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, the first time I was thinking about this, or also we were talking about this, as in also Kevin and my co-founder at Openers, We even talked about, you know, if maybe service for equity could be mm. um, an idea, could be a yeah, could be a setup how we could do this. We tried that; that didn't work out really well. No. <laughs> I think, you know, now also being a bit longer in the game and having done a few angel investments, I also know why. Um, and I think that, but that was the first moment, right? So we mm. thought, okay, if we really truly believe in something. Maybe we can lower our rates. Maybe mm. we can, you know, then find a setup. But how do you even put so that in hard, a framework? Yeah. It's too I hard. mean, how, how would you do that, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I've seen so few cases where it works. Yeah. I, I think, you know, media for equity, um, equity for media, sorry, um, or the other way around. I think that's, <laughs> uh, that's something that can work. But even that is so hard, right? Mm -hmm. Because we all know that. In the end, also valuations just change and also what's the media value even. Mm. I think that's a very, yeah, looking into my PR expertise in a way, I think that's a very vague number out there, what what the media reach is even worth. Yes. So I think it's a very uh, interpreted and made up number in a way. I don't want to, yes. you know, 
um, go into that too much. But <laughs> Talk I think about to all find the discounts. The, yes, <laughs> but to find the equivalent there, I think it's just yeah. too hard. But that was the first idea. So we thought, yeah, why don't we do that? And then I think, yeah, actually with my work at the EIC, and I came into that through um, actually a member of the parliament at the European Commission, I got in touch with them to basically build this um, EIC in the first uh, phase, the EIC pilot, when we were thinking, so how can we actually set out to support more uh, longer to go-to-market companies? So that was really the, the first mission and the first idea for the EIC, right? Because if we look at Europe, I think we have seen, and now the situation is obviously a bit different, but we have seen that especially in certain categories, there's still a lot of um, funding missing. And that's mm. basically deep tech, biotech, uh, health tech, and all these segments. Um, and this is yeah what we set out to do basically at the EIC. And also there, I kind of came in more from a marketing and communications and branding perspective. So how do we bring this out there? How do we make this something that investors, co-investors, and the companies... EIC itself, the EIC rather than itself, the companies. Rather than the companies. Yeah. Like, how do we even promote the EIC so that, you know, other investors would work with us, that other companies would, yeah, would want to apply. Because yeah. let's be honest, I mean, it's a very bureaucratic process. Still. We've been trying to simplify that uh, a lot. So we've been basically, I've been part of the early advisory group at the, the advisory pilot board, where we've been also working hard to really simplify the process to make that all a bit easier. But yeah, actually being in that process, I came into the investment play, I would say, more and more, which is also why they asked me after roughly one and a half years if I want to join the investment committee to actually look at the investments on a yeah more or less weekly basis. And that was also the moment where, I mean, first of all, I had a little bit of more budget to play around with to actually be able to make angel investments. And at the same time, I think this was very defining for me in what companies do I actually look into. So that means, mm. as in, you know, I have been seeing that there is to me, in a way, real innovation in some way that is still underfunded, that is especially, and I think that, you know, uh, joins us obviously, that uh, is especially underfunded for female founders. And mm. then if you combine sort of female founders and long go-to-market combined with maybe a research component, then it's even more underfunded. <laughs> so this is how I eventually kind of got into it. I'm not like 100% strict that this is like only what I'm looking into. But I realized that this is what really excites me actually when I work with companies, that those are the kind of innovations that, you know, will probably not make a return before eight or 10 years even. Yeah. But it's also, if it actually works out, I know that it can actually change something. And this is what really excites me. Do you want to give an example of one of your angel investments? Yeah, actually, um, my most recent one and maybe the one that I'm yeah, also very excited about because I actually, uh, it's like a personal topic for me as well. It's actually called a company called Endo Genbio oh, yeah. from France. Mm -hmm. I, uh, that is my uh, first angel investment together with the uh, Atomico Angel Program. So together with um, Jenny Saft actually from April, mm -hmm. we've done that one together. And what they basically do, so maybe just roughly, so endometriosis, uh, some females, a lot of females may know this. I mean, since 10 to 20% actually do have endometriosis. So basically, um, the problem that, I mean, obviously, you have a very painful PMS, a very painful menstruation. But ultimately, uh, what happens is that basically your your tissue grows out of, outside of your uterus. Mm. Um, and this is... Uh, 
something that is not only not um, curable at the moment, but it's also very hard to diagnose, which means you have to go undergo a surgical procedure to even diagnosis. get a proper mm -hmm. diagnosis mm -hmm. at this moment. So, I mean, me personally, I'm having extremely painful PMS since mm -hmm. I'm 15, maybe. Mm -hmm. I have the diagnosis since I'm 16, but that was more like a word so that, you know, basically get your anti-baby, uh, the pill, mm. basically the prescription for free because I was back then privately insured so you can still get it paid if you have a prescription for it. And uh, honestly, I didn't know what it was until maybe two or three years ago. So actually until um, I went through my egg freezing, uh, social freezing process because I decided a few years back that I actually want to freeze my eggs just to be safe until uh, <laughs> further notice. <laughs> so um, not that I probably need it or now I don't think that I need it, um, but uh, still I want to be safe. And actually back then I went through the process and actually also learning about my fertility, etc., etc. And this is when endometriosis came back into the play. So I was actually looking into quite a few companies in that space because I thought like, I mean, how is that even possible that it you know, takes you 10 to 15 years to basically being diagnosed that you have to undergo a procedure, a surgical procedure to actually make that happen where everything else is like so much more easily sort of being yeah. um, diagnosed. Yeah. And uh, what they ultimately work on, and I mean, I can't say too much because that's the other part in biotech, <laughs> obviously, because it's all um, undergoing uh, a patent process at the moment. But basically, they can shorten that procedure from roughly 10 to 10 years to six months because they uh, ultimately test your menstrual blood, mm. which I think, you know, can also be um, yeah, helpful for so much more because yeah. why would we even do a blood test every every other month or every six months when we bleed any, every month anyways? So yeah. I think for women, that's like an obvious thing to look at. So yeah, and it's uh, two kick-ass um, biotechnologists, uh, both with PhDs um, based out of Paris, One of them having worked in uh, Merck Fertility for, I think, the past five years. Mm. So I think they also know their way around when it comes to, like, go-to-market. And the exciting part there is that hopefully they won't be able to only basically shorten the diagnosis, but ultimately that they can then, you know, also see if uh, this can actually be something that can help pharma to also yeah. maybe medicate it a bit more properly other than just painkillers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and if you... Lots of knowledge in those blood samples. Yeah, obviously. I mean, maybe you can do so much more. There's actually a few other companies mm. looking. This one in Berlin called The Blood. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I've also talked to them. Also mm. two incredible female co-founders. Yes. I think they have now a medical co-founder as well. Yes. Um, I also looked into that one. But I think, yeah, I mean, just a very personal decision in the end because endometriosis is something I've been, yeah, looking into the past few years quite a lot. But, uh, yeah incredible companies out there. And I think especially also in femtech overall, right? I think the other day that's maybe next on my list um, is also that uh, the entire menopause segment is heavily under-researched, heavily underfunded yeah. in, in health tech and in biotech. So definitely also something I want to learn more about and maybe yeah, sure. also be a part in yeah. one company. Let's see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess because it's the kind of thing that, I mean, we've all learned that you need to have a real problem to solve mm -hmm. and yeah if you have your personal relationship with the problem it just makes all the difference and I think that even for like we, we talk about it so much for sort of oh men don't see certain problems mm -hmm. 
It's the same if you, um, I was having a similar conversation about chronic diseases. They're like, but why would yeah. anyone use this? Well, because there's about 20% of the population that have chronic diseases. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there are a lot of these topics that, you know, by far, and I think, you know, we both, both work in, in this industry for quite a long time now. And then it's like, you know, it's not that don't get excited if I see big growth stories and maybe less tech-heavy categories, I would say. But at the same time, and I think honestly, and we just talked about this before starting the podcast, I think that in a way that also those categories are maybe now, now they have the time to shine because everything mm -hmm. is going a bit slower anyways. And maybe, you know, in a way the pressure isn't that high to actually just, I mean, the pressure is there, but I think the, you know, entire investment environment is just going to be a bit slower for a while anyways. So I think, you know, that those categories potentially have now a moment to actually shine, to actually be out there and maybe get a bit more investable also for those who want, you know, shorter returns um, yeah, like so it's in a, a shorter side. Yeah, because essentially you're saying that you get more time to build real assets. Yeah. yeah. So, and that's why, and, and again, I think the entire experience with um, in a way, the EIC, because we do that a lot, biotech, but also, of course, anything in climate tech, but also even higher moonshot categories, if it's space tech or quantum computers, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, those were our topics for me that, of course, you know of, but I haven't had such a deep dive than mm. these past three years and all these topics. So I think this is why it kind of really helped me also to, I mean, if I can even say this, build my investment thesis, because I mean... Yeah. I've done maybe by now seven or eight investments, mm. hopefully a few more soon. But uh, yeah, it really helped me to find what I want to be involved with. Because I mean, ultimately, you also spend a lot of time with those companies, right? Yes, you do. Absolutely. <laughs> and um, and it, But it's interesting because it's it's away from your core business, where it's more like about fast rollout mm -hmm. Absolutely. kind of businesses. So you're actually covering... In your angel investment, something that's actually a different area. Yeah, absolutely. And I think maybe maybe on purpose, maybe that just developed in a way. But I think for me, it's actually exciting to be a part of both worlds in a way. And I just think that I can, yeah, in that role in my angel investing, I can maybe make a difference to, you know, and it's not only that they're underfunded, but I think also that they actually also need my help quite early on because mm. sometimes, you know, I think also those personas may have not um, thought about too much about maybe the communication and marketing topic and how to actually do that part. So I think it's also really interesting to help them find out what they actually can tell the world in a way and not be too focused about it, right? We just talked about the beginning yeah. that actually it takes quite a bit until you're ready to talk about it. But then on the flip side, especially if you have, let's say, research founders, um, that kind of persona, I think sometimes they think about it too late. <laughs> so I think it's a nice mix and I think it's something where I can really properly bring something to the table. And I think this is for me just um, as important as being excited about it is that, you know, I also only join companies where I think I can bring something to the table and the other side sees this as well as a value and add-on. Yeah, and I guess that's the point that if you join an area that's really far away from your core competence, um, even, you know, sometimes it's so powerful to just be there to say, don't worry about it now. 
Yeah. Now you worry about it. Yeah, exactly. Or you're going to have to worry about it in three months. Don't worry now because we all know when you're a founder, you have so many blind spots and even just knowing how blind your blind spot is or whether it should be blind or um, is a huge <laughs> help. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. And I think, yeah, and I think, you know, at the same time that... I think at the same time it's um it's also really it's also really good to kind of understand what excites you and it's not you know sometimes you see companies where I can clearly tell that this is going to be an exciting path and where I can clearly tell that this is probably going to be successful but then I'm also like and I you know I may may have done also like one day where I'm more like okay maybe this is going to be a nice secondary at some point because I just knew a lot of people on the cap table that I trust and maybe you also do mm. that for once yeah. but usually I think, you know, I'm only doing the ones where, again, I can also think that I can I can bring something to this founding team in particular yeah. that they can also gain from. Yeah. And are you doing the angel investing by yourself or with your business or because you're in this agency setup? So, you know, some yeah. a lot of people, especially with agency setups, will do it out of the agencies. Um, yeah. Can you talk through that and maybe how you how you work with your partner in that way? Yeah. So at the moment, we both have actually independent investment vehicles that we also do that with. We are also always, and again, <laughs> I think in the beginning, we probably thought that we would do that even more often also mm. with sort of the agency vehicle, so to say. Honestly, that's not even, um, we also talked about that with our tax advisor and it's definitely not a clever thing to do. So first of all, you should also build a completely separate entity. Yeah. Um, and for now, We've been both kind of being at different standpoints in a way. And also Caroline is looking into it and also has done uh, a few angel investments on her own. Um, but uh, I think also with the sort of my EIC side gig in a way, I've been a bit closer to the topic um, in the in the moment. And I think also that maybe our investment thesis may have, I mean, I don't want to say changed, but I think that maybe, you know, especially that deep tech segment, et cetera, et cetera, is maybe something I'm in particular a bit... I wouldn't say more excited, but I think I'm a bit more closer to the topic. Yeah. But certainly uh, we've looked at some topics also together. And I think here it's like really key. And I mean, you know, I'm anyway super lucky. We're doing this for um, such a long time now. We trust each other blindly. So I think she also knows like whenever I think it's going to be an exciting investment opportunity for either the two of us or maybe even do it from a joint vehicle, then we would do it. Um, but by now, basically, we just look at it in a way separately. And whenever I think, you know, it's something that could also excite her, I'm like, hey, do you want to join or not, etc. And uh, yeah, this is how we do it at the moment, actually. How do you manage your um, kind of the conflict of interest potential with the EIC? Is it because there's a big jury, right? So you can just delegate it or how does it? Yeah, so I mean... Basically, the, let's say, conflict of interest, I mean, as in, okay, if a company that I'm invested in would be in the reviewing process, then of course, I can't be part of that discussion like yeah. in particular. But it's a big jury, right? But it's, a, it's where it's, we have a two process system, right? So we have a very big jury, which, uh, jury, which is, uh, I don't know, even it's maybe like 200 members by now that oh, are crazy. doing the, the initial review. Mm -hmm. But then in the investment committee, and that just recently changed, so also my role uh, mm -hmm. changed from the investment committee now back into a different advisory role because actually the fund now changed to an independent fund structure in Luxembourg. But that's a whole different story. whole different story that we could <laughs> talk another hour or so about. Uh, but in any case, uh, in the investment committee, we were only six 
actually oh, looking okay. then into sort of the, you know, proper DD and like really going through the, I would say, deep cases and then making more, I, I would say we were more, uh, working more on the investment rational rather than the pre-approval. So that right. already mm -hmm. goes through one process and mm -hmm. then it ends up with us and then the fund basically just approves it, so to yeah. say. And there, yeah, again, so if a company that I'm invested in um, would show up, we basically have to uh, withdraw ourselves from the discussion. But overall, also, I think the, the, the conflict of interest, as in I couldn't do both roles, would only be from a certain percentage that yeah. you have in the company. And I mean, as a you know business angel, they wouldn't overgo the yeah. 10% or whatever that I think we have in yeah. our contract. So I think there is no conflict of interest in that sense. Um, and in the same time, you know, I think we always try to have a very open conversation there. Also, you know, if someone is invested in a company that is similar, et cetera, et cetera, we would also basically just claim that, you know, I mean, we either know the market, which may be some inful, insightful help, basically. But at the same time, you know, that we basically declare that quite early in the conversation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And in terms of... Um, your your ESC work. I think it's so interesting because you you have your agency work, which obviously works really really well. Mm -hmm. So it must have been kind of a tough decision to say like, I'm taking significant time away to do this other thing, which is kind of relevant, but only kind of relevant. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, can yeah, but it seems like I remember when you told me you were starting to do it, and you were like, oh, uh, mm -hmm. it's a lot of time. And and so, yeah, how does that work for you to have the side activity? Because I think a lot of people that are angel investing are the kind of people that have, I always call it the bouquet of activities. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so you that's, definitely a nice, have bouquet. that's a nice way of yeah. saying it. Yes. Yeah, so you definitely have a bouquet. <laughs> I have a bouquet. Yeah, but yes. tell me about how, how those, uh, um, those flowers fit together and yeah. um, whether it's still rewarding or just stressful and how you... How you yeah. Like, so I think what the experience is like. you know I can I can answer that now from a from a bit more chill perspective because the time involvement has significantly gone down now with this new structure, mm. which is honestly after almost two and a half years with like a lot of work also a good moment for me. Mm. I also just reflected. I mean, also because and yeah, we can talk about that in a second. But also now that I actually joined the Atomico Angel program. I also want to focus a bit more actually on my angel investing, uh, angel investing the next few months. But uh, at the same time, I mean, honestly, I don't even know how we managed it, as in also the other colleagues at the investment committee, because at some time... They're all the same. They're all like you. They're all the same, basically. Well, we all have bouquets. They're all <laughs> either a partner in a fund and also have a, you know, sort of day-to-day -day job um, if it's... Uh, investment consultant in banks or I don't know, but all of them do angel investing, have a um, day job and basically have done the EIC, uh, the EIC, the IC. If you, need get, if you need to get things done, ask very busy people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I, I think, you know, in a way, so first of all, it has been always sprints, I would say. So mm -hmm. there have been very, very busy months. But then luckily, there's also a very long summer break at the European Commission and there is a very long Christmas break. And all of these kind of things, so which means there were also quite a few weeks where you can also focus on the other work, so to say, and yeah. at the same time also have maybe a press. Um, but also, yeah, I mean, that definitely meant also long nights to um, yeah. prepare the investments, mm -hmm. to really look into those things. I think taking part in the meetings is the one bit, but then also being properly prepared. Again, talking about those segments, those verticals, those companies that some of us, 
probably, I mean, a lot of us were also knowledgeable in, but also for me, there were a lot of new grounds to actually break and to learn uh, about that. So that was definitely long nights and definitely more work that I have done in a, in a very long time. But also it came at the right moment in my career in a way. So I think, you mm -hmm. know, Openers is doing fairly well. We have a team of 30 now. It's all a bit settled down now. We've been going through a very, I wouldn't say tough, but a very exhausting growth patch even just before COVID. And then also when COVID hit, obviously, you know, being an entrepreneur, that was also... And you did lots of events, right, extra, as well? And a lot yeah. of events. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, obviously also Openers connected to, to Tour, Tech Open Air. So also that, by the way, I mean, in a way, so, you know, COVID hit, so which meant there were a lot of events not happening anymore, tour wasn't happening anymore. So that kind of gave me also free capacity that I was able to fill with that gig in a way. Uh -uh. I mean, probably I couldn't have done it with the same pace without COVID, I'm very honest. So in so a way, that was a very... to raise our funds. Yeah, that was COVID. a very oh. lucky timeline for me personally yeah. also. And at the same time, I felt like, yes, with openers, we're at a point of, I would say, stability where I can, and I mean, you know, still it was a full-time job uh, at openers as well, but where I was able to also cut out a few hours. And actually, Karen and I are also very transparent about that if it's, and no matter what, by the way, if it's for private life or if it's yeah. for business life, if, you know, one of us needs to focus and cut some hours uh, every, every now and then, and as long everything else is going smoothly, and we're taking care of our responsibilities, we're super easy with that um, and also to cover for the other one. You guys just know, I mean, I've, I'm such a big fan of good teams and you guys seem to really know what the other person needs to stay interested and stay around. And Exactly, and I think that's also part of that, right? Because I think, I mean, I don't think that, you know, neither of us is bored by now, but at the same time, of course, you have a certain routine um, to the job. And I think for me, that's, development into sort of the VC space and also being an angel, et cetera, et cetera, was just coming at a right time where I felt like, yes, I want, I want a bit more now again. And I think there is a lot of development that we can also build around openers, you know, if it's new service categories, if it's potentially new markets. I mean, we're actually looking into that right now. If we, you know, do not only offer our services in the Dach region, but actually go a bit beyond because there are certain markets that actually for some reason, don't have a good uh, sort of service and agency portfolio. Mm -hmm. So maybe we do that. But um, I think that also actually excited my excited me about my daily work even more so because I can combine the two words. And I think what you just said, I think we both know that. And I think we're very open and at, at the same time also pragmatic about it that, you know, if that sometimes means that we give each other a little bit of freedom to develop further and grow further somewhere else, And if that means that we have even longer commitment to what we do at Openers, I think then we are both super happy with that. Yeah, and I mean, you're developing such a cool skill set because you've got all the kind of extreme international growth companies through that you've yeah. worked with, with Openers. Then you have the high tech, also a little bit later stage companies that through um, the EAC and now Atomico Angel Program. Talk to you yes. about that. This is like <laughs> super early stage. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you're covering it all. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Yeah, I think that's also super exciting. I mean, obviously, the, the program is a great opportunity also. I mean, also because I'm personally limited in, you know, how many investments I, I mean, A, can do and also B, 
responsibly can do as in should do not throwing all my money <laughs> into, into high such risk. a risk category uh, but uh, I think that also again came uh, at, a, at a very um, good moment in a way so we actually do know Atomico for a very long time having worked with the head of comms who's also a partner which by the way is very rare at funds and I think that shows a very great amount of appreciation and mm. uh, very right so and, you know, yeah, we work with them also with Openers for quite a long time. And we actually had that conversation quite separately because also one of the Atomico Angels is invested into a company that I'm invested in. So we kind of started that conversation. And uh, yeah, so I just joined now. I closed, uh, I just mentioned that my first investment with Endogen Bio through the program. And uh, I'm about to close my second one, hopefully this month. And uh, yeah, and I mean, it's such an incredible group of people and also such a, I mean, they're really spread out through Europe. So again, this is something what I really like about it because I think, first of all, I mean, I noticed already from the EAC and it also opened a lot of doors to, I would say, an investment community that, you know, we don't, I mean, don't have access to on a daily basis, I would say. Also, especially if we talk widening countries and companies, um, from, you know, all the EU member states that are not necessarily only Germany's neighbors in a way, mm. or maybe a little bit more beyond if we talk <laughs> the UK, etc. Um, but also there, uh, you know, that's the mission ultimately of the program. So we invest in Europe. So that's like important, first of all. I also think that uh, the ambition to really have a high quote in diversity, uh, both gender and race, and also again, uh, also where the companies are coming from. So also there are quite uh, high numbers that we're trying to achieve with the program and that just perfectly matches also what I'm looking at anyways, I would say. And um, yeah, it's super exciting to kind of contribute to that. And I think it's a very, it's a very, very good and very straightforward setup on how they have built it. And also only by now, I mean, maybe I'm part of, you know, the groups that we have built internally for six or eight weeks or so. But I think we had, uh, yeah, had incredible good uh, also feedback for the things that we've, that I've, or companies that I have submitted or also, you know, companies that I'm maybe not the right fit for, but I think that I also forwarded to like really incredible other angels. So oh, I cool. think it's a very good, it's a very, very good I didn't good realize there was an exchange network. within the program. Yeah, there is. I mean, mm. you know, similar to also, mm. of course, what we have with the evangelists, yeah. where of course we share also Dflow, et cetera. Mm. But there is, um, yeah, there's a very, and also we can, I mean, as I did with Jenny, we can also co-invest. And that actually happens quite frequently that there are maybe two-ish or maybe three mm -hmm. angel, uh, angels investing together. I mean, also to increase the check uh, size in a way. But also at the same time, that usually brings a very diverse set of angels as in like one investment yeah, into nice. the company, which is really nice. Yeah, yeah. And how, um, I mean, there was a lot of publicity about you joining the angel program. How do you manage your requests? How do I manage my requests? Yes, that's a very good <laughs> question. <laughs> I do. And honestly, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, indeed, there, was, uh, there were many requests uh, on my LinkedIn since I joined the program. I mean, also before, you know, of course, I mean, word is out there. I'm part of yeah. a few angel groups and, I send you something and so like on. You every send other me, week. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, obviously that's uh, appreciated, but at the same time, I really have to manage my D-flow a bit better because so actually I'm not at the moment. It's so so I'm kind of uh, 
screening through it somehow. I mean, the good thing is I'm only investing so far and I'm really trying to also to invest into um, female-led companies or at least co-female-led uh, mm. companies, which means sometimes I can already rule out very easily what I'm not looking at or who I don't talk to. But then at the same time, if there's something really interesting that I would really like to forward to some of the other angels, yeah. I also have to look at it in a way. <laughs> mm. So that's that's just me being Kerstin, yeah. which means that I sometimes, you know, even look into those kind of things because, oh, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is an interesting could topic. Interesting. Oh, this could be something. <laughs> and then I'm just forwarding it to others while, you know, I'm kind of missing out to look into the companies that I really yeah, would yeah. want to be a part of. But... Uh, Yeah, I would really appreciate uh, some help out there. So if one of my so 20-ish, uh, I think, uh, guests before me in this mm -hmm. uh, podcast mm -hmm. uh, maybe have some tips for me as an angel, would love to. <laughs> no, I don't. I, to, to be honest, I've thought about this so much. I don't think there's an answer. I think it's just like a mutual understanding mm -hmm. that angels, it's like, it's a side thing. Yeah. And you can't answer everything. It's just this... No physically no time you could spend 24 hours a day answering requests yeah. and and it's just and it, as heartbreaking as as it is to not be able to answer everything i think that's just the reality of it and yeah it's so hard especially when you come from like a service background yeah, yeah to just totally. not answer stuff um and i guess that's why it's so important to make that first contact a good one like for example yeah. with you i would always say like okay i've seen If there's a woman in the team, maybe the woman should write. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, you know, I mean, actually, I think, so when was the announcement? Maybe two or three weeks back. I think I updated my LinkedIn profile a few weeks before mm -hmm. that. So in the beginning, I already had some requests. And then I started to, like, really just answer most of them. As in, like, you know, I mean, I can kind of rule out a few segments mm -hmm. that I'm just not looking into. Yeah, although yeah, maybe yeah. the company might be interesting. So I tried to really answer that, but at this point, I definitely can't. So there were definitely way too many requests. So maybe, yeah, as you say, right, like maybe it would be a nice thing to just have a copy and paste to at least, you know, send it out there. But to be very honest, I think at this point, there's no way that I can actually be on top of my LinkedIn inbox. And I mean, it will be the same for you and a lot yeah. of other not only angels, but also VCs out there because it's just impossible in a way. It's impossible. And I'm also not at this point where, you know, I can make this such a professional side business to actually have someone to help me with that. And yeah. also, and that's maybe another topic, you know, that also, you know, my, my partner at Openers obviously trusts me too. It's like, I wouldn't take away capacity from my, yeah. my team in a way to do that kind of stuff because... Yeah. They're employed in a company that actually needs their capacities to like do that sort of job that makes money. Um, so I wouldn't take away that capacity. So this is really, as you say, this is like my side gig. This is my passion in a way. And yeah, and I, I think I try to do it as much as I can and to be, you know, to treat founders worthy, I guess, as much as I can. But to be very honest, and I think this will be the same for a lot of angels, right? So the companies that I really, really talk to, I mean, it's always coming through a personal nudge from somewhere, right? Yeah. This is how, and I mean, in the end, I can't, I mean, so now maybe with the Tomico, what can I do? Like four to five investments a year. Hopefully that's not going to be only one year, but two or three years. So you can actually extend the cohort. But even then, right? So that would leave me with maybe 12 to the eight companies I'm already invested in. I mean, you know, then Just I'm already managing the portfolios, I'm managing so the portfolios et cetera. Yeah. So, I mean, I also want to be aware of that, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. I also don't want to 
go overboard and kind of be involved in too many companies that I can't like contribute at all anymore. Yeah, I think so much of this, I mean, what we just spoke about, the managing deal flow, but also then doing the portfolio work, it's um, it's just all expectation management. Yeah, totally. And um, yeah, and not over-promising, which is so hard because you want to promise and you want to say, hey, I can help yeah. you so much and I can do this and I could do this and I could do this and I could do this if I didn't have 2,000 emails in my inbox. So, yeah, so I think it's, um, it, yeah, it's just so much about being honest and, and yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Managing I mean, what's expected. You know, the way that I, I try to do is, so, I mean, I do set aside a few hours per week. I mean, and if it's only like two to three, but, you know, I can on a like focused basis basically go through the investor updates that I get from the companies I'm invested in and see if there is something in particular that I can contribute. But also when I actually have the first conversations, I'm also telling them, look, if there is, you know, something, especially in my segment, of course, where I come from, And, you know, I've just done, so a few weeks back, actually 1.5, also one of the companies mm, I'm yeah. invested in, they announced their funding round, right? And I actually also helped them a little bit on the side to get the funding announcement mm. out there, right? And I mean, those are kind of the things, you know, and I mean, maybe we talked about this a little bit, you know, too short to the date when it actually got out. <laughs> no. You know, classic. But no I'm one just would saying, ever do that. Um, you know, if they need something very concrete or in particular from me, you know, I'm telling them in the beginning, you know, just, you know, just ask me about those kind of things. And ideally with a little bit of lead time, <laughs> but uh, also if it's, you know, particular contacts, etc. I think, you know, obviously our networks are very visible through LinkedIn and things like this. So whenever I can, you know, like just give me a nudge, but, you know, don't. I mean, I'm trying to read every investor update as thorough as I can. Mm. But ultimately, you know, I also expect a little bit from the companies that they know sort of the value add that the angels are bringing with them, right? And mm. that they're also requesting it for certain topics if they need it, right? Yeah, yeah, And I think this is, as you say, I mean, it's, I think it's about managing expectations. It's about being open. And at the same time, um, yeah, to really you know, just have that conversation in the beginning that, you know, if you have time, you will look at it and maybe contribute on your own. But at, on the other side, I mean, that they just request, you know, and also look in the beginning very thorough who are they onboarding because they think, well, this person could bring me X, this person could bring me Y. Yeah, yeah. And when it's the time come that they're actually go to that person because mm. that's something I've already seen that sometimes I think they... I wouldn't say that they don't remember why they brought someone on, but I think that, you know, this is something that every founder should really do to like really properly remember why they brought someone on. And maybe even this has been just the contact of a contact, but possibly there was a reason, especially if it's strategic yeah. angels, to really remember that and maybe even map it out. Like, you know, in what phase of your company could this person in particular maybe help you? And if go-to-market only comes in, I don't know, month 16, then, don't you know, it. don't forget it. And yeah, I yeah. think this uh, is uh, just something that is really important. Yeah, that's true. Right, I think we should wrap up, wrap up slowly. Yeah. Um, we always ask the question, what would you like to change in the world? What would I like to change in the world? So I think we talked so much about the femtech topic. Mm. So I think this is definitely something I would love to change, that there is just more money to you know, research the female body to really, yeah, solve all the issues that we have to deal with. 
And uh, I think it's it's fucking time to do that. It's crazy, huh? Mm -hmm. There's so many gaps. Yep. Consume with all the menstrual <laughs> blood. <laughs> <laughs> it yes. will all be solved. No, but anyway, um, it hopefully will be all solved because there are too few people who invest in medtech. There's so few, too few people that invest in femtech. I really always hope that that's going to change. Yeah. Because then I can also with the fund start investing in it actively yeah. as, as well, which we can't right now because it's just not enough activity. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for looking after that for us. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.